Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cheap Seats Chatter, the Overtime Heroics Baseball Podcast. I am your host today, Alex Clark, joined today by Matthias Allman Kurosaki, followed up with our the very first the first appearance of our newest person into the game. That is David Gillespie. David, how are you doing so far today? Doing great, man. I'm excited to, to take part in this and finally get into the mix of uh, podcasting with you guys and, and talk some baseball. So just just excited to be here and, uh, you know, uh, ready to get the ball rolling. Ready to get the ball rolling. I like it. Mac, how are you doing today, my man? Doing pretty well. Um, you know, it's kind of a gloomy-looking Memorial Day weekend here on the East Coast. You know, weather's kind of cold and rainy, but, you know, it's always good to talk baseball. So, you know, while the Mets might get rained out a little bit, uh, the East Coast teams might get rained out, um, you know, there's still plenty of, plenty of baseball to talk about. Definitely, and hopefully we can cheer up that weather with some good baseball talk, although we're not going to start out with the cheeriest of topics. We're going to start out talking about injuries. Injuries have been plaguing baseball for the last little bit from extremely serious injuries to the absolutely dumb injuries such as you know police hurting his thumb aggressively ripping off his shirt so now you take a look at this season and this season's already had a whole lot of what i would call controversy to it where we had the debt the quote-unquote dead balls we've had weird plays we've had coaches saying things they really shouldn't be saying what do you take of all the injuries that have gone on to baseball so far in this season? You can go first, well, man. Yeah, well, so, you know, honestly, I hate saying this, but I'm not all that surprised that there are injury problems this year. Um, you got to think about what the league went through last year. You know, you had guys, you started up it in February, then you had to stop in the middle of March. Then in late June and July, you start back up again. And then you try to cram in 60 games in as few uh, as few days as possible. And so with all the starting and stopping, and then, you know, you play 60 games in a little over two months, and for some even more, you know, it's just, you know, this, all the starting and stopping will mess up, you know, your routine. And then, you know, only 60 games last year, and now we're doing a full 162 game schedule with spring training and everything this year, you know, players, you know, maybe their bodies aren't as well adjusted. And, you know, we've seen so many players get injured this year and they're getting injured at a record rate. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just looking at my, my New York Mets, the Mets have 17 guys on the IL right now. They literally are using every player. They all the depth they could find, to field a team because they basically called up everyone they can from Syracuse. Everyone on their 40 man roster is either injured or in the major leagues. And then if you want to look more specifically, their center fielders, you know, Brandon Nimmo hurt his hand. Then uh, Albert Almora went crashing into the center field fence. He gets injured. Then Kevin Pillar gets drilled in the face and he gets injured. And then Janeshwi Fargus uh, crashes into the center field wall and sprains his AC joint. Like they're, they their center fielders alone are are have four guys injured. I mean, uh, injuries are up around the sport, but I mean, I don't I don't know if this this is probably just going to be a, a season long issue because I've I've never seen this many injuries, uh, especially uh, so early in the season. 
Yeah, it, it's such a, a weird, uh, definitely, yeah, I totally echo your sentiment about it being such a weird season and such a weird follow-up to the pandemic-shortened season of last year where we only got to see, you know, 60 games or so. Uh, and now it's 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 hard to, to really narrow down, like, what specifically has been the cause of it because last year would be more understandable to see such a huge spike in injuries concerning the fact that, uh, considering the fact that there were a lot of facilities that were shut down temporarily. There weren't as many resources made available for obvious reasons due to COVID-19. Now we're starting to find our way back into the normality of things, especially as people are starting to get vaccinated. Uh, but it, it's so it, it's kind of a hard, hard thing to explain as for why we, you know, as for how we can rationalize why there's been a huge spike of injuries. But, um, yeah, I think it, there's a little bit of an overlay, nonetheless, from last year in terms of just getting back into the rhythm of things. That's really contributed to a lot of it. And also, again, we've seen a lot of, uh, of weird injuries. You talked about um, Zach Plesak, Waskari Noah, too, uh, punching the bench. I mean, just a lot of crazy instances and, and surprises that have occurred where guys have found themselves on the DL for the most random of reasons or the most you know, for the craziest of reasons, this is the most surprising of reasons. So hopefully we'll start to see it die down. But again, with the spike in no hitters, the, the numerous different storylines that have come into this year, uh, whether it's been injuries, whether it's been the con consistent uh, existence of unwritten rule issues uh, in Major League Baseball that has become so relevant this year too, just uh, just as much as it has been in the you know previous couple of years. It's really been a mind-boggling season to just take in, and we'll see where it goes from here on out. But yeah, this is this has definitely been an interesting follow-up to an already weird year back in 2020. You bring up really interesting points, and I really like that you bring up about the 2020 shortened season because, again, like a lot of uh, we've seen in other sports, especially in football, when you take away the uh, preseason games. The season itself, you see more injuries because there's less time to yep. get through. Like, there's less time to get through that conditioning. Conditioning is something that's so important to athletes that, honestly, the normal fans really don't take into consideration. It's really interesting to see that we just say, oh, yeah, they can go out and play any day of the week. It's fine. It's fine. But to get your body ready for a 162-game season is vastly different than trying to get your body ready for a 60-game season and trying to go – just that complete jump from 60 to 162, it's a lot harder than you think, a lot harder than anybody really thinks. And to see these players, like, I'm not surprised to see the injuries. I'm not happy to see the injuries, though, either. But, like, again, I'm not surprised seeing people just get hurt over and over again. You talked about your Mets, Mac. Well, I'll talk about my Mariners, where there have been a lot of injuries from that right now. Shedlong Jr., Marco Gonzalez, the ace of the team. You know, Dylan Moore, a guy that was really start to figure things out here it's on the deal evan white our gold club first baseman is that yusei kikuchi some people say the ace of the team is out and then on top of it kendall graveman was out due to the covid19 injured list which again it's not even guaranteed whether or not he got covid from what i remember on the news it was that he was more linked to it he was connected to a case exactly. so so at that point for graveman who again still on the season has a zero era for a guy that definitely is playing with a chip on his shoulder, it's very, very nice. But we're seeing these injuries just come at alarming rates. 
And you just wonder at this point, is this going to be a trend that you see throughout the entire season? And I fear that the answer is going to be yes. And I think it could be even worse as we get farther on into the season where we get into, say, August and September. Whereas right now, we're still within the first jumble of the season. I mean, right now, most teams are only getting to 50, 60 games right now in the season. We're not even... We're not even uh, halfway through the season yet, and these teams are just getting piled on and piled on. Yeah, and 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 even more specifically, to further ex- uh, further uh, expand on that point I was making earlier about the um, the the spike in injuries, and in, in, we've also seen on top of that a lot of setbacks too. While players have been injured, I mean, we just saw, you know, just recently, uh, Mike Soroka facing a setback due to his torn ACL he had sustained, to torn ACL injury he had sustained last year, and of course Noah Syndergaard as of recently as well. Um, and so it's 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 really been just a, a, an unfortunate year for getting the the in terms of trying to get the best possible product out there on the diamond for Major League Baseball all around. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you mentioned Syndergaard. I mean, that is, you know, he was a guy, he went down last year during spring training, and he basically admitted that he pitched through the entire 2019 season with a torn UCL. And, you know, he was, the expectation was for him to be back by the middle of June. He was already, you know, on the rehab uh, track. You know, he was making rehab starts. But, you know, he... on one hand, it's good that there was no structural damage. But on the other hand, he did have elbow inflammation. And for that, he's going to be shut down for six weeks. I mean, the Mets will be lucky to see him pitch at all this year because at the earliest, he'll be back by mid-August, it seems. And then, you know, Carlos Carrasco, who was one of the biggest acquisitions the team yeah. had this offseason, suffered a torn hamstring. And he's, he, he, you know, at the end of April, they're thinking, great, he'll be back soon. But at this rate, it looks like him, he, won't be back until probably July. And then Michael Conforto and Jeff McNeil both also have hamstring issues that will keep them out through the month of June. I mean, you, so many guys around the league, I mean, we've all seen, you know, Dustin May is out for the year with Tommy John. Yeah. Uh, you know, there have been other guys who've suffered, you know, it was Co- Cody Bellinger has been out for a while. Um, Mike Trout suffered a calf strain. He's out until probably the all-star break. You know, it's not just like, you know, random scrubs getting injured also. It's a lot of star players who are out. I mean, Jacob deGrom even had to miss a start because – or, sorry, he had to miss two starts because of a, uh, of side, of a side problem. And same with Tywin Walker. I mean, the amount of injuries around the league is very concerning. But, um, you know – Buxton, too, for the Twins. Yeah, I mean, he, Buxton, he's – fi- MVP favorite. Yeah, I know. He was finally putting it together, and now he's out, too. I mean – so many injuries. I just, I don't know when, when it's going to stop at this point. It is alarming. Yeah. It is alarming to say the least for sure. And now uh, you're talking about also Syndergaard as well. I mean, it, it just, you know, just, unf- and well, actually first I want to talk about Carrasco because what a, you know, devastating setback for him concerning what he's gone through. Of course, the leukemia diagnosed not too long ago. And now the, uh, an additional injury that he he's had to, endure it's just i mean just un- very unfortunate for such an affable player and a person so uh you know hopefully he'll be able to get back soon and of course you're talking about Syndergaard as well who uh, you know apparently in his last uh 
start and uh, in, in rehab start, he was clocking uh, in the mid 80s, um, which is obviously very unorthodox for someone who is a, an absolute gas thrower. Um, you know, when he's on the mound, hitting in the upper 90s. Uh, so just, yeah, hopefully there can be some some answers, you know, or some uh, uh, legitimate uh, results in recovery uh, in the near future because a lot of stars are, are, are unfortunately out, a lot of big-time names, a lot of the, the best players in baseball. And it's, it's, not, it's not the best situation right now for Major League Baseball uh, as a whole. It really isn't because at this point right now, you've come to see the stars of the game and seeing everyone just get hurt more and more and more. One thing this kind of also brings up a little bit of a question of is going forward, if there are too many injuries, like we're seeing with the Mets, where they're just bringing up everybody, uh, do we start to see maybe some almost looks from the union here about trying to get through the we're, right now they have the collective bargaining agreements and all this but do we start to see some ways from the union for the owners trying to say hey if everybody's getting injured we can't just keep using the options on these players purely just for injuries now this brings up a point where okay everyone's getting hurt what do we do about it to where we are going to be in trouble with say oh a guy's out of options and we can't send him down, but we only brought him up out of absolute necessity. You can take this one, Mac, first. I'm, I'm not really sure how to answer this, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, it's definitely an issue worth looking at because, I mean, like I, like I was saying about the Mets, like you just mentioned, I mean, they're literally bringing up anyone they can. I mean, so many guys who, like, you know, they've the lineup is unrecognizable. I mean, they literally... They were so desperate, they traded for Cameron Mabin, who they, they literally traded for one, $1 for Cameron Mabin, who is now, you know, he's starting in the lineup, but he's also 0 for his first 26 with the team. The only reason he's playing is because of all of these injuries. And, you know, you got to think about all the other guys who are called, who've been called up, who, you know, clearly they, may, they might not be big league ready, but they're just getting called straight up and like, you know, Yes, you do use their options when you send them down. So maybe at this point, if you're getting called up to the majors for, you know, for an injury replacement, maybe you shouldn't lose an option because, I mean, it's not like you're getting called up because a player is struggling. You're getting called up out of necessity. Like, you, you know, they literally need just a warm body on the team. And, you know, that's we're not just seeing this with the Mets. I mean, there's a, some other there are other teams that have a laundry list. Uh, of players on the IL so you know that that I I think that would be okay but I'm not sure if the union will actually move on that I, d I doubt so overall yeah it, it's you know I will say this though there, there if there's any silver lining to that situation it's that at the very least you get to test out the confidence and the comfort of playing in the show uh, for some of these youngsters who obviously haven't had that experience before or have very minimal experience. So you get to see what really – you get to really evaluate your talent by putting them on the biggest stage already as opposed to waiting a couple years from, from now and then ultimately determining that, well, maybe he's not been the best fit. Maybe it's been uh, a mistake having this guy on the roster for as long as we ultimately did. So having them on – having them – Tested, uh, tested out early on and, and being able to evaluate them early on, I think could be somewhat of a silver lining. But yeah, it, it's something that, that maybe if, if this continues to persist, the union will have to address 
finding, you know, finding the better ways, the more uh, compatible ways in, in attaining options to fill in the voids for when these injuries occur. Because again, like, like we said, it's happening at an alarming rate and we're only what a third of the way into the season thus far. So there's got to be some solution on the horizon that they need to be starting to contemplate about because again, it's it's very early on in the year already. It's very early on in the year already, and there's still so much more baseball left to go. I think something will have to happen overall. All right, and then we have a, our next. We'll move on to our next story here, as we've gotten we've got a lot about injuries, but we'll talk about something that's also been happening in baseball a lot through baseball, where we were joking about this on our last. Uh, on our couple of our last podcasts, talking about the influx of no hitters in baseball, we already are at six on the season. And to be fair, it's all because been because of you know three teams, all at the expense of three teams. But this feels weird because this week was one of the first weeks of the MLB season where there was not a no hitter. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm okay with it. I'm very okay with it. As much as I love seeing yeah. a good pitching performance, seeing that we've been at this exact line of what we're talking about in the last one, where if this baseball season continues on, where even if there isn't another no-hitter through the month of May, through the last few days of it, then that's still on track for 18 no-hitters throughout the entire season. Yeah, I don't think this is going to... I, I I sorry. I hope this doesn't continue like the the rate it's at, um, because at that point it's gonna be like, all right, no hitters are just another, you know, it's just another day at the at, day at the ballpark. But um, you know, it's honestly it's refreshing that you know there was a week where there were no no hitters. There were a couple of uh, no hit bids. I think it was Carlos Martinez had one and Shane Bieber. But you know, it's you know it's nice to occasionally have like a normal week of baseball. I mean. Well, the problem is that a no hitter is now becoming part of the normal week of baseball. So, you know, we'll we'll have to keep tabs on that all year. But I mean, you know, we've had six no hitters right now, seven if you count Mad Bums. But um, I, I maybe maybe things are going to start to slow down. Maybe hitters are making uh, adjustments or something like that because I I really still don't know what the explanation could be behind all of these no hitters early in the year. Let's let's hope so because they're at six already, and the record is eight. That I believe is set in eighteen eighty four. We're on pace for like nineteen this year. If that's if this goes at the current rate, so that's not it's not exactly a positive. I think. I mean, it's a positive for the pitching, obviously, but you want to see more of a balance on both sides of the diamond. Uh, what you know in in all aspects, whether it's defensively. Uh, you know, whoever's on the mound, obviously, and of course, who's ever in the batter's box. You want to see a good balance of all three, at least in my opinion, I'd like to see all three because I don't think either way, whether you see a drastic decline in uh, contact is, you know, in part because of the no hitters, for instance, or if you see a huge spike like we've seen in home runs in the last few years, it, it, it's not as good as it should be, if you ask me, because the, the balance of baseball, I think, really what we had seen in years past where there was much more of it is a much better and more appetizing viewing experience for fans uh, than what we have right now. So 
it's just I think it's it, it all comes down to changing your approach at the plate. If you're a hitter, for instance, and not constantly thinking about swinging for the fences, which can contribute to strikeout rates. Um, and yeah, just fine tuning that, I think, f- for one thing. And, and, and you know, with, with hitters, well, I mean, with, with pitchers on the mound, obviously it, they can only do so much. I think it's 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 a little trickier for them because obviously with the home run rate, a lot of people are attributing that to also the juiced ball era that we're that we're currently in. So they can only do so much with the the change in the design of baseballs. But something does need to change if we want to see a more appetizing, um, you know, version of baseball, much more enjoy, you know, a much more uh, enjoyable experience or experience a much more enjoyable um, time watching baseball like we did in in, in years past. Because right now it's I mean, this is just unbelievable. I've never seen anything like this. Six no hitters through the first fifty games, and we again first week. It seems like that we've we've not had had a no hitter thus far. But I will say this though: it's it's been nice to see these no hitters come from legitimate pitchers and not just a bunch of like guys who got lucky. I mean, seen it, you know, with with Kluber for instance, with Joe Musgrove who's had a nice year this year, and John Means from Baltimore. I mean, these are legit, bona fide, legitimate pitchers, absolute aces that are getting these. These no no hitters, and of course, Madison Bumgarner. We all know his history, uh, career-wise, with what he was able to accomplish in San Francisco. So even though he didn't obviously get credited because it was a shorter game going into just seven innings, um, but it's nice to see that at the very least. If there's anything to take note of with these uh, no hitters this far, Wade Miley and Spencer Turnbull say hello. <laughs> I know. Right? Um, <laughs> that was hey, Wade, Wade Miley was Wade game. Miley was an All Star. Remember that he was he finished second in Rookie of the Year voting. I don't think that yeah. means anything right now, but that's true. It, it, I gotta be honest, long ago, though, it, man. <laughs> oh my gosh! It look. Okay, I'm happy that we're not seeing no hitters. I love seeing a good pitched game. I think we all do. But you know, I I look at this, and when it's happening over and over and over again, it's like having chocolate for dinner. One day it's like, oh my gosh, that's kind of random. That's kind of cool. But when you have it for a week, it's like, please give me a salad, please give me some chicken or something. Yeah. And at least a bit. That's a good analogy. Yeah, like it. It's too much of a good thing is not always a good thing. And especially when, like you said, yeah, there are some really good bona fide names. There's Kluber and Bad Bum and all these other guys that are throwing these no-hitters. But then you have Wade Miley and Spencer Turnbull. And <laughs> John Means is a good pitcher. I'm not I'm not going to knock on Means at all. Um, but at this point, it just doesn't feel – it almost – when you watch these games, and as a Mariners fan, I watched two of them, uh, these games didn't feel natural. Something about this, when you watch a perfect game or when you watch a no-hitter, there's you, you, you feel like you're watching something. something you feel like special. you're watching something special. But mm-hmm. with these, it just felt unnatural. Like, seeing a result you knew was going to happen. And it just felt wrong. Hopefully, when we see another no-hitter, if we see another no-hitter, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm hoping that this sixth stretch is just a horrible outlier. Of the planets all aligning and then just slingshotting themselves across the galaxy. But I want to see from this that I want to see these no hitters start to just become more and more rare again. But because I, I don't have a problem with a Wade Miley or Spencer Turnbull throwing a no hitter. I mean, heck, the 22nd ga- perfect game in Major League Baseball history was thrown by Philip Humber. <laughs> And yeah. where is he now? So, <laughs> like, we see this, and I'm Mets okay legend, Philip Lumber. Yeah, Mets. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. 
just ow. Um, again, against against the Mariners. Um, but you see this, and I I want to see these no hitters go away a little bit more, just so they get that special feeling to them back. But you know, I'm I want it. One thing I do kind of want to bring up to it is while this was going on, the whole d- topic of the dead balls, the non juice balls, were coming into play again. And now that the no-hitters have stopped for a week, that topic of conversation has seemed to go away a little bit. Do you think Major League Baseball has done something, or is this just a factor of, oh, this outlier is just continuing to go on? I mean, I, I doubt they've done anything, really. I mean, it's only been, you know, like a week since our, I mean, it's been a week since our last no hitter, but I doubt Major League Baseball has done anything in that past week. Um, I think that really, honestly, it might just be one of those outliers because, you know, you don't, I mean, it's just not normal for so many no hitters to happen. And uh, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not sure what Major League Baseball has done. Uh, I know they said that they were going to tinker with the baseballs in the offseason to, try to counter the influx of home runs. But uh, honestly, I think that maybe it's just the hitters are making adjustments, you know, and, uh, you know, honestly, I thought pitchers were going to make adjustments to counter, you know, this whole launch angle revolution going on. So I think that maybe hitters are starting to try to figure out ways to counter, you know, all the, you know, all these no hitters, you know, there's been a lot, you know, strikeouts are up across the board, but maybe some, some, players might be trying to find ways to put the ball in play more and you know if when you put the ball in play good things will happen so maybe maybe that's what's happening actually well here's the thing i i refuse i just wanted speaking on the the topic of juiced balls i refuse to believe that rob manfred does not know what's going on with the change in the design oh, he definitely does there's no way he he is not able to find out about it. that's literally a change in the equipment the players use it's like it's like getting different helmets or getting different uh, shoulder pads in football. You're going to know the changes that are are coming with that particular aspect to the to the game. So there's just no way he he's not able to know uh, about that. So I, I'm sure they I don't, whether they you know finding out about those changes. I don't know if they knew what exactly that would bring. That's a different topic. But you know by changing the baseball, but they certainly have stuck by it. And I don't know if they'll waver anytime soon in terms of going back to the original design. I would like to see that happen because, again, I think it's contributed to a spike, a significant spike in home runs. But um, hopefully that comes soon. I'll just say that because it's it's not been great uh, to see, you know, uh, what we've seen as of lately in, in you know, uh, the, the huge spike in home runs right now. But. Um, yeah, it's it's a big question mark right now, I think, as for how they're going to respond to this. Because, again, this is something that's just unprecedented, seeing this many no-hitters that, it, this only into just such a short part of the season thus far. So, again, yeah, I don't I, – I have a feeling that Manfred knows a little bit about what's going on. But who knows? Maybe he'll feel like, oh, hey, I'm on a good roll of actually doing something about the La Russa stuff. And now I feel like, hey, you know what? Maybe let's keep this momentum train rolling by actually helping the baseballs. Because here's the I'm okay with good pitched games. I'm okay with maybe having a little bit less offense. Well, my problem is that we went from hyper offense the last couple of years to just completely stagnant. And that's the problem here. If you're yeah. going to make a change, 
you got to make it slower. You got to make it a more residual change to where you find that good middle ground. It takes mm-hmm. some time to find it, but you know what? If you're if once you do find it, then you found exactly what you're going to use for the next hundred years. There you go. And 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 let me just uh, share one uh, quick take. Uh, maybe a little controversial, but. I think no-hitters are starting to lose a little bit of their luster, especially with what's been going on this year. Call me when there's a perfect game again, because it's been way too damn long since that has happened, and that's where I'm really got my eyes glued to the TV. Because with all due respect to what these guys have accomplished, it's nice, but let me know when you you throw something perfect with no walks. I I will say this, though. With John Means, that was unfortunate about the drop strike three call. Um, That was was just unfortunate for him, because that should have been a perfect game, but... Uh, and Rodon yeah. accidentally hitting the foot of Perez. Yeah, it, it's just, you know, I, I, I just, I miss the perfect games. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Felix, obviously, Mark Burley, some of the, you know, Randy Johnson at age 41 throwing one. I mean, those were spectacles. Those mm-hmm. were unbelievable. It's just, you know, I, I don't know. It's just a lot, lot, it's losing a bit of its luster as of, as of lately with the huge spike in them and, and just... I don't know. It's 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 impressive, but it's it's not as mind-boggling as it used to be. I yeah, I, I, I said a very similar thing on the last show because, I mean, the, th- the thing is that, you know, in 2012, so that was when we last had a perfect game. Felix Hernandez threw it. But there were three perfect games that year, which, you know, that's a, that's a not a small number for a perfect yeah, game. That's, that's true. Yeah, and we still haven't seen one since that year. So, I mean... At this point, yes, no hitters might be losing their meeting, kind of, if they just keep happening. That's like, uh, I, I made the comparison to when in the 2019 when people were saying, oh, hitting 30 home runs means nothing anymore because everybody does. Well, oh. I mean, throwing no hitters at this point isn't going to mean anything either because everyone keeps throwing no hitters. So, yeah, I mean, when there's a perfect game, that'll be a big deal. But um, until then, the no hit. look, I, I'm a fan of pitching too, but. Uh, this is this is kind of out of out of control. It's still more valuable than a shutout, I'd still say, but not by a ton. You know, at this point, for me at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more valuable yeah, than a that. shutout. It's definitely more valuable than a shutout, but at the same time, like we said earlier, too much of a good thing is not always a good thing. Yeah. So, go. all right, we're, we're gonna move on to our next topic here, and while keeping on the idea of. Well, we have media. We have uh, mediocre offense. Now we have mediocre fielding. We <laughs> had a game a little bit. That's ago. being polite. Yeah, you know, you got to be polite to be professional. Although I, this team makes me want to not be professional. <laughs> There's a game between the Cubs and the Pirates. You know, a normal, normal game. Javier Baez comes up with uh, Wilson Contreras on second base and. Hits a ground ball over to the third baseman. Third baseman for this uh, on this thing was Eric Gonzalez, who makes a throw over to first baseman Will Craig and throws a little bit up the baseline, but not too much. And Craig's able Craig's able to get it, and he goes to apply the tag. Javier Baez does what very few baseball players would think to do and goes backwards. <laughs> He goes backwards and keeps going backwards. And Craig, instead of touching the bag and getting the out, as a first base, I want to know just how angry this makes me. Instead of touching the bag and getting him out, decides to chase him home. 
All this time, Wilson Contreras is running. He rounds third, heads for home, trying to take advantage of the distraction that's being caused. Craig sees this, flips the ball over to the over to the catcher, Michael, Michael Perez, and it's too late. Mike and Contreras scores. Now that oh my god, I'm explaining this whole play, and it just makes me angry. At this point, now that Will Craig is not covering first base, and of course no one else is covering first base, Javier Baez decides to run for first. The pitcher at the time, which I actually don't have the pitcher at the moment. It was Tyler Anderson. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Tyler Anderson decides to cover, try to cover first base. And so the catcher Perez goes and flips the ball, tries to throw the ball over to Anderson. And it goes off of his glove, so now Javi Baez is on at first base and sees that the ball is going into right field and goes for second base. And then the throw comes in and goes off of the shortstop's glove. So Javier Baez on a small ground ball to the third baseman. Of course, this is not being labeled as a hit because in no way, shape, or form should this be labeled as a hit. Ends up scoring a run for the Cubs and putting himself on second base while making the Pirates look like the worst franchise in <laughs> baseball more than they already are. I'm going to let everyone else talk on this one because, man, if that or if me describing what happened didn't get me angry enough, you're about to hear what's about to happen next. But I'll, let, I'll open up the floor to this one. For the Pirates, how do you recover from this? <laughs> Go first, Mac. I mean, it's just hard to recover from. I don't know if you can recover from that. That was that may have been the worst play I've ever seen. I mean, honestly, like you know, it's a routine grounder to third. First of all, yes, bad throw. Okay, fine. Baez still isn't all that close to first base. There's did did Will Craig like forget how many outs there were? I mean, <laughs> I get he's young, you know he. This, I'm pretty sure this is his either his first or second year in the majors, but, I mean, what is he doing on that play? You know, if, you know, if he just touches first base, the inning is over. No run score, none of that. But, you know, credit to Javi Baez for creating that distraction and luring uh, Craig into trying to run after him. But what in the world is going through your head on that play? Because that there are is just no fundamentals. Like he's like, what's, where's, what's this going to benefit you? Like running at him, you know, there's nobody covering first base because, you know, theoretically, you know, if Contreras scores, it's one thing, but if you throw to first, I'm pretty sure the run doesn't count if they get him out, but nobody's covering first. The throw was terrible. I mean, bias ends up on second base. This was just there. There was, uh, I, I just, I don't know. Tell us to describe this play because this was that was. I don't know if there is a word to describe how awful that play was because man, the Pirates, the Pirates are showing why they they people project them to be the worst team in the majors because they are that that was that was like a little league play. I, I don't even think I saw that in little league. That was awful. <laughs> there, it, there is definitely a word for it. That word I can think of is mediocrity. That's worse than mediocrity. That's. I mean, it's hard to be, but he, or just in general, pirates is probably yeah, the best no. That way is to that is. It. I mean, look, the pirates. That uh, some people 
uh, uh, you know, around my age, they were wondering, is that what it was like watching the 1962 Mets? Because, I, I mean, <laughs> that was the worst team ever, and I've heard some funny <laughs> stories about that team. But, like, what in the – what – I, I don't I, – I, I can't even formulate thoughts about this play. I appreciate – well, for one thing, I just want to say I appreciate your uh, comfort in, in, in poking fun at your own team in the Mets um, – Without one, uh, but oh uh, yeah, well you you got you gotta know how to do that uh, when you're a Mets fan. <laughs> yeah, just, just hey, like I, being I, a Mariner I, fan, you gotta poke fun at yourself. Twenty one years, guys. I, I you know I, I don't have that experience with with my uh, Red Sox in baseball, but with my Bears in football and the Bulls even in basketball, I, I totally echo that. Uh, I totally know what you mean. But uh, I, here's the thing: I know. I know the NFL, they got come on man on ESPN. They got that segment. They got shacked in a fool on NBA. Maybe I'm just ignorant when it comes to this, but what's MLB's version of that? Because this would be the play of the year for that segment, whatever it's called. You know? I, yeah, I don't know what it's called, but yeah, I, I watch Shaqton the Fool the, every week. This play so is yes. the Kwame Brown of the MLB on that point of Shaqton the Oh yeah, man! I mean, basically. Oh no, sorry, Javale McGee. Javale McGee. Yeah, it is like it's basically the Javale McGee. It's also like when uh, Michael Ruffin threw up the ball in the air and uh, the, the the other team picked it up and scored the uh, the game tying three pointer uh, oh, twice. My. Like you know, it's it's like that. But I I I, I I'm not. Uh, I'm kind of surprised MLB doesn't have a segment like that because that's <laughs> that's like the uh, it's like the the butt fumble in in football. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 oh, sorry. I, I, we'll make the pitch right here. It's the Buckner. Uh, it kind of Buckner. is the Buckner. Yeah. Yeah. I, sorry. That, that was so, pretty sorry bad. to like, bring that up for you, David. Sorry about that. Like, oh, hey, hey, no, it's no big Mate, deal. My we, dad was at that game. <laughs> we got our revenge over the last 16 years. Don't forget his won four world series titles in the last 17 years now. So <laughs> you know, just need to remind y'all. No, but, uh, here's the thing though. I will say, um, yeah, it, that that would win play of the year for whatever that segment is. And and my favorite part about it too, one of my favorite parts about it is like not only do we have like a million errors on that play, it seems like a million lapses of judgment, but on top of that also, I just love the Cubs reaction in the dugout where you just see Anthony Rizzo just cackling and clowning <laughs> on the Pirates like he can't even fathom what just happened either. And and so really it, it just ultimately that is the epitome if you want to look for a prime example of what it's like to be a Pirates fan right now in the last 25 years. I mean, really, you got to go back to the, the Bobby Bonilla, Barry Bonds days where you really felt proud to be a Pirates fan. I know a lot of people talk about the Andrew McCutcheon days and they had that three-year stretch where they made the playoffs. No one thought the Pirates were going any farther than the wild card round or maybe to the divisional round, which they ultimately made in, in 2013. No one felt that this team was a legitimate threat back then. With all due respect, and I, I like the Pirates. My dad's a huge Pirates fan. So I have a ton of respect for the franchise and their history and and uh, the lore that comes with it. But it's been miserable for quite some time, and, and it just looks like it's not getting any better anytime soon. I mean, they're it's it's bad. They're at thirty six percent winning percentage, which is their you know their second lowest I think in the last twenty years. So uh, you know, in the last uh, excuse me, going back to the last thirty five years now. Uh, so it's it's really just. It's unfortunate. I just my heart goes out to Pirates fans because it can't be easy. It really can't. It can't. Yeah, I feel. I. Feel, I mean, look, my uh, my oldest brother did his uh, undergrad and grad school in Pittsburgh, so like we we like the Pirates sort of. You know, they're like our second team, if you would say, in my household. But like this is 
almost i mean look i remember in the summer of 2010 um i saw i went to a pirates game against the florida marlins and they were the, the they were so bad that you know pnc park is one of the nicest ballparks in the country if not the nicest very nice and, you know your team is bad when you have such a nice stadium but about an hour before game time you're selling field level tickets for like 20 bucks a pop like <laughs> You know your team is – look, back then, I remember, I believe, you know, they had, like, Andy LaRoche starting back then, and oh, yeah. uh, Garrett Jones was their cleanup hitter. Like, okay, those teams were bad. I don't think I ever saw them make a play like this. Like, I look, I, I found it. Like, the Pirates that year lost 105 games. But right now, honestly, they might be headed to worse, uh, worse places than that because that, you make plays like that, man, man. First of all, nobody nobody's going to want to go to games, which, I mean, nobody's been wanting to go to the Pirates games since <laughs> McCutcheon left. But, like, I, I just, like, they're, they seem to get worse every week, it feels like. And, and this was a team that at one point, again, I know it's, it's early on in his Padres career, but that had Joe Musgrove, that had Garrett Cole years back, too. So th- th- there would be a lot more to be excited about with the Pirates right now if they were able to still have those guys on their roster. But outside of really, you know, Adam Frazier, there's not a ton to be stoked about with this team. So when you have this, I mean, this is just, this is crippling. This is almost like, I know it's one play, but it's just, it's so synonymous with, with their trajectory as of lately, where the direction of this franchise and, I'm just hoping that that Derek Shelton can somehow find a way to keep this team afloat uh, sooner rather than later because the Pirates fans, I mean, they're, they're, it, it, we need to do a, a courtesy call or a, a, a checkup call on them right now because it's 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 just unbearable, you know, <laughs> to say the least. One thing I will say is that the fan base, the uh, the MLB fan base has been – very, I, I'm going to say this, very divided into three sectors on this play. There are the people that are amazed with Javi Baez and have, oh my gosh, that was such an innovative play. He's <laughs> El Mago for a reason. <laughs> Which those people are extremely delusional and did not even watch the play, just watched, <laughs> just watched Javi Baez get on second base. Then there are the ill-meaning psychopaths that just go lol <laughs> and to be fair i'm kind of in that in that uh, way or it's like, but i'm more in the third category which is the how did the pirates mess up even that badly mm. and that's what i think more most people should be in but to be fair it, it, just don't be in the hobby bias is a genius for this because <laughs> he did nothing he all he did is he he was like Michael Jackson. He walked backwards. Good job. And oh man, this play just gets me angry. I was a first baseman growing up, and one of the first fundamentals you learn is touch the base. If you it's like if you are closer to the bag than the other person is, than the runner is, touch the base. <laughs> like you don't need to go make the tag. You don't need to do a. At this point, it almost looked more like the cat chasing the, chasing the feather on the little on the little toys there. Just you like, oh, oh, you uh, almost got it. You almost got. Oh, you didn't get it. And then they just end up looking foolish. Well, guess what? The pirates are the cat in this scenario. You 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 went for the thing. You look foolish, and now you're down another run. 
Yeah, I just looked up the box score on this too, and there were three errors that inning, two on that one play alone, an E three and an E two. Uh, but I think who wins the 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 trophy for the worst lapse of judgment easily had to go to Will Crank. I mean, what were you thinking, chasing him down and then throwing the ball? I mean, just step on first at the very. I mean, well, I know he's trying to get the keep the runner from coming in, but like you you can't be throwing the ball back to the catcher and expecting to tag out a speedster automatically in someone like a hobby bias because the guy's got wheels. The guy can move. The guy can fly. So it just was a, a horrible lapse in judgment, first and foremost, on his part, most of all. So it just, yeah, it, it, you can't let that happen again. I mean, Shelton's got to be, he's got he's got to be giving them uh, uh, the business in the dugout on that one because that's just, that's just embarrassing. It's just, yeah. Well, Craig's a first base, or Bill Buckner's a first base. But anyway, let's move <laughs> on here to the, it's like, that's the last of our main news stories. That's the last of our news stories for this. We're actually going to play a little game here now as we've already got pretty far in this podcast. We're going to play a little game of buy or sell. We have three players and three teams that have been making waves right now in the MLB. We're going to go to our esteemed panel of experts, Matthias, Alba Karasaki, Mag, and David. And we're all just going to go ahead and say, do we buy what's going on? Or do we think it's not real and we sell them hot? So we're going to start with players on this one. And I think the biggest one right now that we want to talk about is Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Has been on an absolute hair as of late some people are even calling him right now the best hitter in baseball are you buying what you're seeing from vlad are you selling what's going on i'm 100 buying what guerrero is doing i mean you look at the numbers and he's got he's doing something that his not even his dad has ever done which is have a you know have a 47 game stretch where your OPS is up uh, at 11, above 11.20. I mean, okay, it's come down the past couple games, but still. Um, an 11.04 OPS, uh, which leads the majors. He's also leading the majors in OPS plus at 2.04, leading the majors in total bases, home runs. He's leading the AL in on-base percentage and slugging. Uh, he's got 2.8 war. He's hitting the ball hard. He's, um, you know, he's not striking out much. Uh, he's not chasing necessarily. He's drawing walks. I mean, maybe he needs to work on his defense, but his exit velocity has gone up significantly. His barrel percentage has gone up. His launch angle has gone up. Everything's looking good for him. Uh, his hard hit rate has gone up. His walk rate has gone up, has almost doubled. I'm 100% buying in to Vlad Guerrero Jr. And for all we know, outside of the speed, maybe he's looking much like his dad in the box right now. And he's lost a lot of weight. So perfect. He's, I think Guerrero is well on his way to being heck. Maybe he'll be an MVP candidate this year. I totally echo that sentiment and not to one up you at all, Mac, but uh, I'm just, and this is just me being so excited about this guy, but I am 110% buying into this guy. This is just unbelievable. What I, what I've seen from him thus far this year. And is a little, is it a little premature for me to, Start thinking about putting him in that greatest father-son duos in MLB history, considering what his dad was able to accomplish. His dad was one of my favorite hitters to ever watch. I grew up watching him for the Angels, uh, more so with the Angels as opposed to his time with the Expos when they were back when they were the Expos in Montreal. Um, 
it's a mirroring image of his dad, considering the power, considering the contact. It's unbelievable what he's been able to do, and not to throw a ton of numbers out there, but, you know, his, his again, you talked about his exit velocity, 99th percentile, hard hit percentage, 92%, slugging, uh, you know, expected slugging, 98th percentile. He's unbelievable in just about every aspect of his game as a hitter, um, and it's this is what we were supposed to expect, to be honest, because there was so much hype, as much as as much hype as there's been with Kevon Biggio um, and, and Bo Bichette with the Blue Jays, because they have such a talented team all around the Blue Jays, their stock is rising, and it's rising at a rapid rate. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is the face of all of this, to, to uh, suffice it to say. He's been the absolute focal point within this batting order, uh, and it, his numbers validate that. It's... Just unbelievable what he's been able to do. Oh, you know, on base percentage of 443, slugging well over 660, 1100 OPS, uh, which I believe all lead um, the majors, if not at the very least, the, the American League right now. So, in addition to home runs, so he's just he's capitalizing on this opportunity in just about every aspect he possibly can as a hitter. Still needs to work on his fielding as a first baseman, but. You know, that's why he's, of course, seen his fair share of uh, time at the designated hitter uh, spot. But this is someone who is who has arrived and he's here to stay. I totally expect him to uh, continue to, you know, to improve and, and to hit at this staggering rate. Um, but, yeah, he's he's here and it, it's he's the real deal. And it's, it's finally come in his third year. So I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here. I'm going to say sell. And it's not because I don't think he's been amazing. I think that over this last stretch, he has been absolutely incredible. And he does have all the, the points here to keep it, to make it be sustainable. The problem that I'm coming at here with Vlad was that when he first came up to the big leagues, he, there this hype was there when he came up. And he did do pretty darn well for the good for the uh, when he first came up in 2019, he did pretty solid. I mean, especially as a rookie batting 272, that's not bad. But remember, it started out so much higher. It started so strong of a star for him that the hype was so real on him. He was hitting. He was just mashing the ball. I mean, heck, we remember seeing him at the home run derby, and I remember the commentators saying this kid was born to hit home runs. And you know what? Yeah, good on it. He was an absolute slugger and still is. But the thing is, we've seen that kind of droop. He's still a great player. Don't get me wrong. I think that he honestly has everything that it takes to lead the Blue Jays uh, offensively to a postseason, potentially even World Series it was like within the next couple of years. But what I also know is that during that rookie year, the hype was well there and then it just faded. It just completely faded. This stretch right now, I don't know how sustainable it really is. I think he still can do extremely well. But for where I'm seeing him right now, I don't see that he's going to keep it sustainable. We've seen what already happened with him in his rookie year. I want nothing more than him to be successful because I think he deserves it. I love the idea of the father-son team working together, although I will still always say forever say that the Griffies were the best father-son duo. And at least they will always have the record of being the first father-son duo to hit back-to-back -back home runs. So you can't take that away from me. But <laughs> um, 
I, you know, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here because I think it really could go either way here. I'm going to say sell because right now that value is so sky high that even if it does go a little bit higher, you still make a profit. I mean, it's, yeah. It, it, again, it's early on. It's the first 50 games. So you, who knows? He could be in for uh, a drop in production. But I just think he's just, his technique there, his hitting approach, it's, it's unbelievable. He almost reminds me of David Ortiz in a way. And it's not just because he's a big fellow just like him. But he just, he absolutely crushes the ball. And, and I feel like, you know, he, he's done very well in high leverage situations, according to baseball references in 321 in those type of situations. Uh, so he's, he's, he's very good in clutch situations on top of that as well. And I, I just feel like th this Blue Jays team, it's about time they get their, their, their break. You know, they get cut a break because they, they had that nice brief period, you know, in the mid, you know, 2050, uh, mid 2010s where they made back to back ALCSs. Um, and that was after missing the playoffs for the previous 22 years since they last won back to back World Series in 93 and 92. Um, but, I, you know, it, it's it, he's going to be that guy. He and I think at this point, when you're in your third year of your career, that's generally like the third third time's a charm. You know, it's maybe a cliche, but I think in this this case, it's the truth. And uh, just to counter your point about Ken Griffey Jr. and Ken Griffey Sr., with all due respect to those guys, because they're definitely one of the greatest duos, I would more so say Barry Bonds and Bobby Bonds. But you know, that's just me though. In terms <laughs> of the greatest father son duo, uh, that's all I gotta say. <laughs> you sound like you start to sound a little bit like Stone Cold on that, and that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> All right, so we'll move on now to our next topic on buy or sell. And we're going to move on over to the Rangers and Adolis Garcia. One of the names that nobody really had going forward. I mean, some people probably did, but you'll never you'll never get me to believe you. <laughs> so right now on this season, has done really darn well. 16 home runs for the matching outfielder. 282 batting average and an OPS of 929 on a Rangers team that a lot of people had ranked as the worst team on an already pretty weak AL West. And yet he's coming out as a shining star on that. See, guys, what do you think? Are you buying Adalis? Are you not buying on him? What's going on? This, this I think, is much tougher. Um, you got to look. Uh, so obviously he's leading the here. He's sorry. He's tied with uh, Guerrero. In home runs at 16 he's got 41 rbis five stolen bases um the concerning part about his offense is that he does not draw many walks he's only drawn nine walks in 174 plate appearances that's a 5.2 walk percentage um a 28.7 strikeout percentage um that's pretty high but then again you gotta look um similar to vlad uh dallas is hitting the ball very hard um his average exit velocity is 93.5 miles per hour, which puts him in the 96th percentile. His hard hit rate of 54.4%, um, that's in the 97th percentile. His expected slugging percentage is high. His, uh, his ex-WOBA is also high. His, so his barrel percentage of 19.3% is in the 99th percentile. And also, need I add, um, and this is part of the reason why I'm sort of buying into this, it's his defense has been fantastic. It's yeah. he's been one of the best defensive outfielders in baseball, if not the best. He's got ten defensive runs saved already, and we're only in May. And uh, his outs above average is strong. His, his outfielder jump is great. 
Uh, he's also a decently fast runner. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I'm not sure if I'm buying as much into the offense because of the low walk rate and the high strikeouts. But, you know, this is also a guy who the, the Cardinals gave up on after the 2019 season. Uh, I think that, you know, Garcia, uh, maybe, you know, offensively, I'm not completely buying into him. But I think as a complete player, I'm going to buy it here because, you know, he is basically, you know, if he can fix the strikeouts and the walks, he's basically a five-tool player. So I'm, I'm going to buy on this one. I, I'm going to buy uh, somewhat with caution because, again, this could, be, um, this could be just a great stretch of play coming from him that could see a drop sometime, you know, in the – near future i'm not saying it is but you know he's right now he's at he's 28 he's a more seasoned um uh you know player but uh, i should say well more he's, he's an older player who's not exactly seasoned in terms of experience because this is only really uh you know he had 24 games total of experience uh prior to this season but i i do like what he's been able to do this far you talked about you of course alluded mac about his defensive play I was actually at the game yesterday between the Mariners and the C, uh, the, excuse me, the Mariners and the Rangers. Uh, he was unbelievable defensively yesterday. I, I, I'll tell you what, this guy is the real deal defensively to, at the very least because I saw it three different times where he made some game save, uh, so where he made some some run saving plays uh, that really, really uh, could have been more. You know, uh, more especially noted if the you know if the Rangers actually were able to produce some runs last night because they got shut out five nothing. But he, he's unbelievable. I saw him rob a home run from Mitch Hanniger last night. I believe it was in the uh, the first inning, and uh, you know, gunning gunning down uh, base runners as well last night. You know, uh, at home plate and and even just like having that control, like where there was one point where he, he was even diving to to make another spectacular web gem play. And he missed it, but it almost looked like it was intentional that he missed it because he timed the bounce perfectly where it still ended up landing into his glove despite the ball falling short in the outfield uh, compared to where he was. So he just he has that comfort. It seems like he has that knack, that innate ability to field at such an incredible rate and at such an incredible efficiency level that that alone makes me want to buy him. But the, the hitting again, it's it's again, he's 28 years old right now. So and, and it's just 42 games in the season. This could be somewhat beginner's luck because again, he's only played 24 games in the season, but already with 16 home runs and 41 RBIs and 42 games played. Th- that's impressive. You can't lie about that. It's just a matter of like, will this hold up? Again, he strikes out at a a, a significant rate. Um, he's not particularly great too on off speed pitches. He's hitting a an a measly 080 against Osby pitches, but when 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 they're bringing the gas towards him in the batter's box, he's crushing it for 354 with nine homers. Uh, so it's 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 somewhat of a mystery because again, this guy is very green in his experience. But I'm gonna buy, just proceed with caution. I really am being the contrarian here today, aren't I? Because I'm selling. <laughs> I am full on selling here on this one because I like I like what I'm seeing from him. Like again. Defensively, that's good. I I think that if you could be a good defensive player, then you will always have a spot on a lot of teams as well, as long as you can hit above 200, Brendan Ryan. Um, I really like see what I am seeing from him, but 
you take a look at also what he's done previously, and there's not a lot of sample size to work with. I mean, coming into this season, only had 24 games, uh, 24 played appearances on that, and a grand total of three hits, two singles, and a double. And now you come into this season, and he's just mashing the ball all over the place. I want to say this is a bit of... Uh, I don't want to even say rookie because I don't even know if he is technically still a rookie. Um, yeah, he is. Yeah. This is a case of the people not knowing what the rookie can do. And so once you start pitching, around, once you start playing around with it, we we'll start figuring out, okay, what is he good at? And you pitch around from that. That's what scouting reports are for. And that's why Mike Trout is really good. Is It does not matter what the scouting report says. The scouting report says it's Mike Trout. Try your best. With other players, they start <laughs> once your weakness starts to get figured out, players will exploit it. And for for adults, I need to see more of a sample size here. I really do. Because at least when we were talking about Vlad, there was more to work with. And the only reason why I said sell on him is because, again, I'm not buying fully into the hype just yet. Later on, yeah. So here's what I think. Here, I think that he can be very good defensively. Like you said, I watched the game too. It was a great, he's good defensively. But I need to see more for him before I think that buying is a good idea. I'll take that seller. I'll take my my little bit of profit here on him. And if I lose extra profit, then you know what? That's fine. But for for dollars right now at the moment, I'm just going to say nay. And I just want to say uh, that uh, when he threw that guy out at home, it was Jack Mayfield. I was thinking it was him, off the, uh, but I couldn't remember off the top of my head. He's got an arm. I'll tell you one thing. This guy's got a cannon. I mean, I felt comfortable in thinking that Jack Mayfield was going to was going to come home yesterday mm. safely. Dallas threw him out by a wide margin. It wasn't even close. This guy got the ball out to the catcher in quick fashion, to say the least. And he's he's the real deal, at least defensively, I think. But again, I understand what you say about uh, especially with the bats in terms of it's a little early on, need more of a sample size. Mike, any last thoughts here on Dallas? Just, uh, I mean, I think, you know, so clearly there are holes in his approach at the plate, but his defense is fantastic. Um, and, you know, I'll be curious to see if, you know, if pitchers do make adjustments and, you know, crazy that, you know, we're getting towards the end of May and the two guys leading the American League Rookie of the Year race, in my opinion, are two guys who are in their late 20s in Yerman Mercedes and Adolis Garcia. So I think, you know, Adolis, maybe he doesn't, you know, keep slugging at the rate he does, but I think he's definitely a power bat. And it'll be interesting to see how he adjusts and how pitchers adjust to uh, to his approach. You know, so that that's my final thoughts on uh, Adolis Garcia. All right, well, then don't go too far, Mac, because uh, we're going to talk about our last player and we're going to head over to your area of the woods where the New York Mets have a player that they paid a lot of money for. So it was Francisco Lindor. See, I somehow made that rhyme. But Lindor has been a very interesting case. A war of points, two so far throughout the season, batting underneath the Mendoza line. So we're not playing so much the buy or sell on this one of, oh, do you think that he is going to get, it's like, do we think that he is great? No, I think what we're playing on is, do you buy the losing streak that he's on? Do you buy that this is going to continue for him? Do you think this is going to be the main point that we need to work with? 
Or do you think that this is just a case of just still getting used to the new area? I mean, I it's so hard to tell. Here's the thing is that so his defense has been spectacular. Um, you know, I you know, he he's made the plays, he's looking great there. Um on the flip side of things, his offense has been dreadful. I mean, he's hitting 185 right now. Uh, the one good thing about his offense is that he's been drawing the walks. I mean, he's walking at 11.9% rate, which is fine. Um, and it's not like he's striking out a ton, but, I mean, it just looks everything is wrong. I mean, look, I went to the game on Tuesday night, and he was getting booed relentlessly. And, you know, I get it. It's the New York way, but, like, this is a guy who the Mets, you know, they shelled out a lot of money to keep this guy around. And he's been just off the charts terrible. I mean, he can't get the ball in the air much. He's bare, barely barreling anything up. Um, he only has three home runs. He's literally slugging under 300. I mean, it's just hey, he's hitting everything on the ground. I mean, I'm all sorts of concerned about him, but there's no way that he can be this bad. I mean, this is a guy who's hit as many as 38 homers in a season and has always been an above-average offensive player, and he can run. He's basically a five-tool player when he's on. But, I mean, I don't think that these struggles will continue along. And also, need I mention that the Mets are somehow in first place despite all the injuries and despite Lindor's struggles. Um, I think that, you know... I can't really say that his struggles will continue all year. Yes, it's the end of May, and he's still hitting 185. But I think he'll be just fine. I mean, look, maybe he has, like, a rougher first year. All right, that happens, especially in New York. I remember Carlos Beltran struggled his first year in New York, and I'm and he's not the only one. I've seen other players struggle mightily his, their first year with a new team. Now, so, look, maybe he doesn't have the best offensive year. But I do think he will get it together, and I, I'm not – overly concerned about him so I think you know he'll be you know sure his numbers might not be sparkling but um would I be selling the streak won't last forever or what am I what am I working with here because I I I I really think so basically how how I see it is are you buying that he is that this is the real Lindor or are you selling that uh, he's going to get out of it? Oh, no. Nah. So I, I'm selling. I think that he will eventually turn things around. There's no way that a guy of his caliber is going to have a 557 OPS all year long. I think that this is definitely an above average player who's just he's just struggling really mightily right now. So when you say buying, are you uh, in, in referring to the struggles or are you referring to buying or getting better and improving and getting better? No, are, you, are you buying into what you're seeing right now? Okay. This is what we're going to see from Francisco Lindor or selling means, you know what, he this is not what we're seeing here. Basically, it's like a truth. Is this like a truth or fiction type thing? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say. I'm going to say buying this year, but I'm selling for the future years. I have okay. the utmost confidence that this guy is going to turn it around. I think he's too talented all around as a defender, as a hitter, whether it's contact or for average, uh, whether it's for contact or for power. This guy is the complete package, and he, he's exactly what the Mets were looking for in terms of the type of player that he is when they were ultimately able to acquire him. 
obviously it hasn't worked out this year, and I don't think it's going to get much better this year, but don't give up on this guy. He, he is such a hard worker. He's got such, he's such an, a, a, a tremendously versatile player that's destined, him, if you ask me, to turn it around because we saw what he was able to do in Cleveland. He was just lights out. I mean, three consecutive 30 home run seasons, multiple gold gloves. This guy can run the bases at an effective rate, too. I mean, he's an absolute speedster around the bag. So the, it's it's bound to change. But right now, I, I remember watching just recently Mark DeRosa on MLB Network talking about how, uh, you know, in terms of Francisco Lindor's ability to get his hips around in conjunction with his swing, there wasn't as much uh, cohesiveness with those two aspects to his approach at the plate when he's swinging. So it just uh, – with those two aspects to his offensive game. So it, it really – with his technique, I should say, in particular. So it's it's really been an issue, a, a, a consistent issue that has been plaguing him all year long in terms of how he's looked differently when he's been swinging the bat. And that's probably going to continue for this year. But it's just, it, it, it was a failed first-year experiment. But don't give up on this guy. Do not give up on this guy. He's too valuable. I know he's, he's again, he's been a... a an, an embarrassing issue for a Mets offense that is deprived of any production this year. I believe they're last in runs scored this year offensively. And he hasn't been able to hit any pitch well, whether it's, you know, off-speed pitches, breaking balls, you know, fastballs, anything of that nature. He's not hitting anything above two 212 in any of those types of pitches. So it's it's been really bad thus far, but this is just an outlier year. Not an not uh, a, 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 a consistent issue that we'll see for years to come with his particular game. And, and my sympathy goes out to him, of course, for having to deal with his booze. And I know the fans don't like what they're seeing this far, but he's such a likable guy. I mean, Francisco Lindor, you, you can't not like the guy. And You know, when you see him in interviews, he's just got that, you know, that, that glowing personality, that, that, that big smile that's just so, you know, uh, just so gregarious. Like, it's, it's just... Everything about him, you've got to admire what he's been able to bring to the game of baseball as a face of baseball. And I think he's going to turn the ship around. It's just going to take until next year. So, okay, on this one, I like the points you both are bringing up here. I'm going to say sell here just because I don't think this is the kind of Lindor we're going to see here. Though I want to bring up a couple things that are kind of against my own thoughts here. I'm looking at his batting average from the start of his career till now. And it's kind of weird because you take a look from 2015 all the way through 2017. It just got progressively lower and lower. And then it rose up again. And then it is going down again. So I'm kind of on the same point that David is here where, you know, maybe this year is going to be a little bit hard for Lindor, but then he's going to get into it. Although I do think that he is a good enough player that, I think this season he will start to figure it out again because there's no way that he's going to be at 185 for a batting average throughout the entire season. If that's the case, he needs to be benched. Or the way, or he's the modern-day Sean Figgins. But <laughs> I just want, like, just looking at this, I think that he's going to get out of it just because we've seen how good of a player he is. We've seen how good he's been able to, I mean, again, four straight all-star appearances, four straight being in the MVP conversation, two golden gloves, two sol two silver sluggers. I think he is too good to be in this kind of position. And he's definitely nowhere near old. I mean, he's 27. Yeah. Like, that's when you're he's getting to your prime. 
So I think that there that for Lindor, I think this is just a little bit of I don't want to say jet lag of just being in the new area or just maybe moving pains. I think it's just give it, give him a little bit of time. Just let him get used to it a little bit. I mean, realistically, he's only played 43 games. That's mm-hmm. a third of a major league season. Give him a little bit of time just to get used to where he's at. And I think you're going to see the dividends pay off immensely. I, 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 yeah. I, I, for you guys offensively right now, to say the least, Mac. I mean, yes, the, the look, the Mets need Lindor's bat to wake up uh, like they, they need it to wake up as soon as it can. But, you know, like you said, David, I mean, and, and Alex, you, you mentioned this, too. Like, you know, like it's ridiculous to give up on him. I mean, he you know, he's a great clubhouse presence. First of all, I mean, they call him Mr. Smile for a reason. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, you know, he's only 27. I mean. This is not a guy who's like way past his prime. This is, you know, and for some reason, you know, Mets fans, look, I understand like it is the New York way to overreact. They call us Panic City. Like, I've lived here my whole life. We're very impatient, just people as a whole. But, you know, people are already comparing this to when the Mets got Roberto Alomar or when they signed Jason Bay or when they got Carlos Baerga. But you guys got to remember, like, you guys got to realize, you know, when the Mets got Alomar, he was 34 already. Yeah. Like, you knew that you were getting a guy who was probably getting towards the end of his prime. When they signed Jason Bay, they signed a guy who's, you know, over 30 to a four-year deal who also, uh, his swing was tailored to just hit the ball over the green monster. Or Bayerga, I mean, all right, Bayerga was 28 when the Mets got him. Sure. All right, fine. That's whatever. But he, they also picked him up at the, in the middle of the year when he was, he had a 698 OPS. Like, no, Lindor is a guy who he will he will hit for you. He will steal bases. He will field for you. He will do anything the team needs him to do. When but right now it's just it's a matter of getting his bat going. So I think you know Mets fans, while you know they love to overreact and you know yes they don't have a great the team doesn't have a great history of you know good things happening. I think that you know. It'll be fine, okay? The contract, you know, the money doesn't officially kick in until next year. He'll be just fine. He got his money, yes, but he will he'll put it together. You know, he's still in his prime. Just everyone needs to, to chill out. Yeah. Francisco Lindor is still Francisco Lindor. Francisco Lindor is still Francisco Lindor. That is, I like the statement. Because I do think that people are maybe overreacting to him. I mean, at New York, that's what New York do. But, you know, I just want to see, for for this going forward, I want to see him try to get back going forward. I need to see what he's going to do from this, because you don't want this to become the kind of albatross contract. Where, again, you brought up Jason Bay. I, I As a Mariner fan, I'm also well aware of Jason Bay. But... <laughs> You see from this, and I want to see more and more when it comes to Lindor, because he was the big sign. He was the big boy over the offseason. Yeah. What are you going to see from him going forward? You need, for the Mets to really progress with where they're at, two things need to happen. Lindor needs to get back on his track, and everyone needs to stop being in the hospital. But it's, again, again, both, there's a similarity between both those, and it's that both of them are going to take time. 
Absolutely. With that, I, oh, yep, sorry, go for it. Oh, no, I was saying absolutely, man. Yeah, I totally echo that sentiment. It's just, you know, it, it's like when I remember Aaron Boone just starting out and uh, it was John Carlos starting out in his first couple games as a, as a Yankee. Now, obviously, he's been injured. He's been plagued with injuries. But you saw him get back on track in his first year as a Yankee. And But within his first couple games there, they were already booing him. And it's like, this guy's only a handful of games into his first time as a Yankee. And people are booing him. It's just like, pump the brakes. Let's settle down. Just be patient. Things well, will turn yeah. around. David, if I could just throw one more thing is that, it's, you know, it's not just, you know, first of all, I think Yankee fans are way worse than Met fans when it comes to that, that type of stuff. But, you know, Boston is like this, too. Philadelphia, yeah. I mean, they were booing oh, Mike yeah. Schmidt basically his whole career. I mean, look, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, those are the big three. Uh, you know, those are probably the uh, for athletes, those are the roughest cities you could possibly play in. You know, the expect, expectations will always be sky high. And anytime you don't, you know, exceed them or at least hit expectations, you're going to get booed. So that's the way it is. Things will turn around. You know, you mentioned Stanton. I've seen other guys get off the slow start. I mean, Carlos Beltran was getting booed his first year in New York. And then the next year, he had one of the best offensive years in franchise history. So, if th- things will work out, trust me. Um, let's not overreact. Let's not, you know. All right, you boo him once in a while, but let's let, let's let's just try to relax. <laughs> it's tough relax playing. It, yeah, it's tough playing in the Northeast, man. The lights are brighter. The uh, you know the criticism's harsher, and the expectations are loftier. I mean, that's just the way it is up there. And he's unfortunately, you know, at the brunt of it right now. Uh, thus far in twenty twenty one. And with that, I think we're going to have to call it here for this episode of Cheap Seats. Jen, we talked about a lot of stuff, talked about a lot of injuries that are going on in baseball, talked about the fact that thankfully for at least one week we did not have a new no-hitter as well as the Javi Baez play and then played a little bit of buy or sell. But I want to say thank you to each and every one of you for tuning in to this podcast here. You Make sure you go follow us on Twitter. You can go follow David at david g sports tv on twitter you can go follow mac at matthias underscore a underscore k and you can go follow me on twitter at the sports guy 242 make sure also go follow overtime heroics on twitter but for david and for mac i want to say thank you to each and every one of you have a great rest of your day make sure you stay safe out there we'll hope to see you all real soon take care guys